Welcome to the Sunday Afternoon Podcast with Greg Reese. Today is November 27th, 2022, and I am Greg Reese. That song you just heard is called Liar's Son. Liar's Son. And that's by Mike Simon, who is going to be our guest today on the phone actually from yesterday, recorded yesterday, a conversation I had with Mike Simon. Mike Simon, you can find uh, his music at officialmikesimon.com. Album Break to the Gray, soon to come out. And uh, so, yeah, we had uh, planned on having a conversation for the podcast to talk about uh, his music, and just talk about music and creativity, sort of mix the subject up a little bit. I um, I don't know if you listened to that song that was just played, Liar's Son, but there's a brief uh, moment where I have a, some spoken word that I recorded on there. That's how I met Mike Simon. He reached out to me about a year and a half ago. Uh, surprisingly, I, I got the message and I replied and the project was interesting to me. So he hired me to do a track on the thing, and then we said, hey, when you're done, let's do a show. And I'm not even sure the album's done yet, but he wanted to come on and talk. And I was happy to have him. So we talked yesterday afternoon, recorded it, and then I'm about to play it right now, along with a couple other songs that he sent me. And uh, yeah, I kind of like it for the Thanksgiving holiday because um, otherwise I probably would have just lamented the whole time, <laughs> you know? Uh, I know, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll lament a little bit. I don't know if lament is the right word, but sometimes the holidays get me depressed 
and this was a doozy. This, uh, but it's over now, and I'm ready to jump back into regular life and, and pull my head out of it. But, um, but sometimes I let myself get down there, you know. Sometimes I do it. It's one of my flaws. And, uh, but I mean, you know, the big, big picture, I mean, I'm grateful and happy. I am, uh, the big, big picture, I am, I am a, a isolated hermit by choice. As I know many of you are as well. Um, or at least a lot of the people that we've chimed in on the subject on the, in the, uh, past podcast comment section. Uh, but, um, you know, family time, cozy holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas and stuff. Anyways. So the good thing about today's show is, uh, you know, cause is, is in my opinion, the, the two best ways for me to, um, address like depression or, you know, any kind of emotional weight is through exercise, getting the blood pumping, getting the heart rate up, or creativity, which for me typically is playing music or anything really that is stimulating my create creativity, getting me excited about making something, a project even, you know, crafts. And I think there's good reason for that. And uh, there's, there's, there's good reason to, to form habits like this too, to, so that you can even avoid the, you know, the pitfalls. And then maybe that's where I'm at still. <laughs> but anyways, it's all good. And um, no complaints. But it's a good conversation, I think. Uh, we got into it. Uh, if you're, I think we even joked about it a little bit. If you're not like a geek musician, then maybe it might not be the most interesting thing to you because we did get a little bit into the uh, the minutia of it. Uh, I wouldn't say minutia. You know, it's the idea of um, two things I love is I love uh, music is one of my favorite things as far as being a creative. And the other thing I love is big projects. Biggest project I had was my book. It took it was like a full solid year of of a creative project. And the reason I like big projects is just because it it I mean it's just uh, stretches out that journey because it's really all about the process of creating something. In my opinion, and I think most people would agree with that. It's not really about uh, the completion. As important as it is to complete projects. The completion is not, if anything, it's a bit of a letdown. I mean, there's a, definitely a sense of satisfaction because you, you, you finished, but it's, you know, the fun's over. <laughs> so you better pick another one and start something new, you know? All right, so with no further ado, uh, I hope you enjoyed the following conversation with Mike Simon. You can find his music at, uh, let me make sure I get it right, officialmikesimon.com. It's been a long time. How long has uh, how oh, long has it been since we talked about this? Months? A month. year? Because I think it was the middle of 20, I want to say the summer of 2021 when I had first gotten the idea of contacting you about Liar's Son. So it's been, yeah, it's been a while. 
So I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we could put it together. Summer of 21, you said, is when you reached out to me? I think so. You lose track of time over these oh, last completely, years, huh? completely. It's been crazy, and I've been, <clears throat> and um, and I've been uh, running around crazy all day. How was your Thanksgiving? Good, good, uneventful. You know, I actually worked. I have the recording studio in my house, so I've been doing finishing touches. And instead of doing turkey, we did uh, chicken francese. I uh, I cook some Italian sometimes, so we did that instead, and just stayed in. And uh, it was just easy and simple. That sounds good. What's chicken franchise? I mean, I could look that up, but uh, is it? Oh, it's like it's like kind of piccata style where you, you. Oh, with lemon. Yes, lemon capers. You dip it in egg, a flour, uh, in a white wine sauce. Tasty. That sounds great. No, it was good. I love piccata. That's like one of my. Yeah, favorites. it's it's kind of the same thing, only uh, dipped in egg. I think. <laughs> God, it sounds even better. Like, all right, all right. All right, if you're going to do it, if you're going to go for it, you might as well do the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I did a duck. I cooked a wow. Pekin duck. Pekin duck. And um, I, I think I just did it because uh, to confront uh, Hollywood or uh, Hollywood uh, holiday loneliness. I get, I, get, uh, I get a little weird in the holidays. I think I always have mm-hmm. um, for whatever. I think a lot of people do. And uh, so this year, I thought I'd do I I would I would engage myself with a challenge, and uh, and it was interesting. Next, I won't do it again. Like next time, I'll just make a sandwich or something, or go to a, <laughs> go to a nice restaurant. So but I succeeded. So it was a big deal. It was like a, an undertaking. Well, the problem, I guess, here was the problem: is the problem is by the time I was done, um, it, I was full pretty quick, and then I had this entire feast. And there was no one to share it with, so it was like, at that point, I was like, ah, all right, I can see how this wasn't a very good idea. But uh, you know, maybe next time I could do like a, a single, something else challenging. But it's over now. We are there over the hump. Upside. There is an upside to that sometimes. You know, a lot of those, especially with everything that's happened over the last couple of years, you know, you get together with family, and then there's like the 800 pound gorilla in the room where nobody wants to talk about what's going on, and then that gets going, and then before you know it, everybody's arguing. So. There's, there's a stress to the holidays, I think, too. You know, it, it, it all depends. But sometimes that's just the way it's supposed to be, you know, being, uh, you know, having something quiet is is good, too. Yeah. You know, you work hard, you get to get a break, you know. I think it was David Icke who, when I read of uh, Children of the Matrix years ago, I think it was that book. He, it was a very brief thing that he mentioned in the book without sources but most of us i love ike but he said uh he said That's calendar right. dates are all, is all are all mind control and uh and i remember at the time when i read that it sounded kind of silly but over the years i realized i'm like oh yeah i mean that's kind of a no-brainer i mean I mean, I guess you could even argue that some of them are positive mind control things you know i mean that's up for debate i guess but yeah once you set a calendar date then it kind of sets something in 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 motion <laughs> But well, like I said, exactly. we're over the hump of Thanksgiving, and yeah. one of the things that came up, I was talking to a very good friend of mine about um, about the the, the hol- holiday blues, and uh, and how I, lately I just want to like things are so dark lately, I just dream of 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 focusing on art and being creative, and this brings us to the topic of what we're going to talk about today is. Uh, specifically the album that you're completing and the whole process because. So June of 21, when did you, um, let's start with the beginning of this project. When did uh, the actual al- uh, complete 
And what's the name of the album? Is there a name for the, the, al- the album? Yeah, there is. The album, the album is Break to the Gray, G-R-E-Y. Break to the Gray. Break to the Gray. And you can find it at officialmikesimon.com. Officialmikesimon.com. I had to do the, the officialmikesimon.com because mikesimon.com was taken. But um, yeah. so I was find things and I don't like hyphens and I you know, something that I think that could, you know, you know, you try to you try to find URLs and there are so many of them are gone. But that's oh, the, yeah. that's the web address. The the album is on there. And as far as Break to the Gray goes, Break to the Gray has been a work in progress for a long time. I mean, I have a lot of songs, but and there's actually going to be two records. There's Break to the Gray and then I'm going to follow up um, with a, a kind of an EP called uh, Ballads in the Rough. And the idea is because these songs that were produced um, are they the album is not per, it, it is per se a concept record. It, it is about the human condition. And if you go through the songs, you, you, you could easily see that. But it's also it's not like I wrote that album in one period of time. It was over many years. I had to become an engineer. I had tried to to work with a lot of people over the years and I was never really getting what I wanted. And I realized early on that if I wanted to make the album that uh, based on albums that I love and that I grew up with, like Led Zeppelin II or uh, anything the Beatles did or Pink Floyd and stuff like that, even even in Motown, uh, like Stevie Wonder Records, etc., there was always something about the sonority of the albums where they hit you immediately. There's something about the tonality. And I can remember that even when I was a little kid listening to Led Zeppelin II. And I was just captivated by the way it sounded. No matter what I did with a local engineer or whatever, it never got there. And I knew that if I I was going to have to do this myself. So it's been something over the years that I got into the gear, started recording. Uh, I did some work with uh, Eddie Kramer, who was uh, involved with um, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. And he mentored me a bit. It was also involved with this album. And I just over time have learned a little bit, you know, a lot of study, a lot of osmosis, a lot of trial and failure. But I feel like I've really gotten to the place uh, where I'm making good records and and have have had found my sound, so to speak, where I'm satisfied with it. But that would be the beginning of the story of that really is about that. This is also kind of a coming of age album um, from the aspect of being self-produced and also finishing it. And it has been no easy task, especially uh, with uh, the difficulties over the last couple of years, you know, um, I was in the middle of doing this. We were um, deep into the recording, and then all of a sudden, COVID hit, and nobody wants to show up anymore. Um, people stopped talking. Uh, everything got screwed up. So it mm. delayed this coming out. I mean, maybe it's a good thing, but uh, it, it's definitely been a grind. And then I had to move from Seattle, which I spent the last few years in. Uh, what, not my hometown. I'm originally a Midwesterner like you. I'm from Chicago. Uh, but I was out uh, in Seattle. Um, and then from there, we ha- you know, we had to escape that place. Um, that just was like ridiculous, like eating outside, you know, in the in, in, in a rainy winter and eating outside at a restaurant. It was just nonsense. And everything was closed. So I said, you know what? Florida is looking pretty good. So I had to move the whole studio down here, get set up again. And here we are. So for the last year, I've been completing this. And this is a 10-song album. And then the one, the EP that's following short after is a six-song EP. But I guess we'll focus on Break to the Gray today. But uh, Well, I mean, it doesn't really... I mean, we're going to play some songs. I, I was listening to... you. I got four songs, and um, none of them were the one that, ones that I was on. What's the name of the one that I'm on? I'm on um, oh, Liar's Son. Liar's Son. 
maybe I missed it. But um, you know what? I'll send it to you later today so that you have send it to me later today, and I'll play it on the podcast for everyone. And you but know that's what? It's also on the site. But I'll I'll send it to you anyway. I was surprised I responded to you. You you reached out to me, I guess, a, a summer of two thousand, uh, summer of twenty one, for me to do a track on it. And um, first of all, it was I. I'm very I'm not easy to get in touch with. I rarely get anything like that. And then um, initially, you know, and I'm such a hermit, and I just try to avoid contact with people at a great extent. And so, uh, but but I actually so I'm surprised that I reached out. And then. Uh, and then I like what you had to say, and then you sent me a cut, and uh, and I the whole thing I liked, you know, creatively as an artist, I was like, all right, cool. And then uh, and then it finally came down to you paid me to do it. And I'll yeah. tell you what, uh, I'll tell you what, I spent. I'm an old man now, and I've spent my whole life kind of as a aspiring artist. And I, if you if you tally up what I've invested to the return, that was that was one of the the large, you know, that was a big moment for me. I was like, wow, I'm getting paid to to lay a track on an album. So, but you have fans. You deserved it. I, I always. It, it, well, yes, I got some name recognition. The idea came to me was I was standing in my kitchen and I was sort of just. It was like summer, and I was thinking about it. That song that it had a, a. It was just too short, so I went and put a musical section in it. But then it felt barren, and I thought to myself, you know what would be cool? And it just sort of just shot in my mind. Call it. I mean, what do you want to call it? Call it God. Call it. You know, your higher spirit, your higher power. But this idea shot in my mind, and I think that a lot of. Great things coming, you know, come out of following, uh, you know, those ideas. And I said, well, I think yeah. the best things come out of, of following God or, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. I think that's where I, you know, that's why I think uh, when people give credit, at, uh, you know, when they give thanks to God, uh, I I understand what they're saying. They're, you know, I would say like when I, there's a lot of unexplained, unexpected, magical things that come out of me that I, I didn't think of. They just sort of came out, you know, mm-hmm. when I was listening to those four songs, that's what I, um, uh, that's what I was thinking in my head as I was listening. One, I tune out, I tune out, I tune out lyrics as a habit. I've done it since I was a kid, so I have to sort of sit down and force myself to listen to the um, actual lyrics. I listen to the melody and I listen to the voice and I listen, I listen to the music, and then my head kind of goes off on an imaginative thing. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. But I will uh, sit down and listen to the lyrics. But I will say this: one of the things I enjoyed right off the bat was it was taking me. I was having fun with it the whole time, and it was uh, taking me out of, you know, the 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 darkness that I've been, you know, that I have to spend so much time in it with my work and stuff. And it and it's music that I don't normally listen to. Like, uh, it almost felt like I went to the record store and I pulled out a random record and got something really cool and special. And the other thing I noticed was uh, the quality. I do know something about um, recording music. I've never, I've never really achieved. Um, super quality uh and i think you kind of need this is i'm leading up to a question here i think sure. you need certain things that i don't have uh to attain that quality um i think some of it can be done completely digital like i have heard mixes definitely from engineers that do nothing but straight digital sure. and they have that thing that oomph that sound that um that i don't think i've ever actually personally been able to accomplish as an engineer i think it's very tricky uh it you is. got it on these cuts but Thanks. you got i'm guessing you're doing it like almost in the style of those albums that you mentioned are you doing it on tape or is it digital no, and i'm glad you say that um well uh if to get a little technical my my situation in my studio is really a hybrid yes it's pro tools it's a digital audio workstation but all the gear is analog and it's Neve. It's Rupert Neve. 
and and some among some other things like solid state logic and uh, the point being it's just like anything you know if you have a great guitar i think somebody said well anybody you know can make great music with anything sure but in the hands of if you if you say tiger woods could he could he could he whip my ass with a 1920s set of uh, of golf clubs? Of course he could. But if he's going to compete, isn't he going to play with the best tools? And the whole thing about music is it's kind of along the same deal, but it's a little bit different in the sense of today that we have to go back in time. You see, cutting tape is arduous. And when you record and if to tape, you have to really have your, you know, proverbial shit together. You have to be in time. Your band has to be tight. And uh, you have to know what you're doing because then it's going to be an arduous task for the engineers to cut tape constantly and to edit that. Fast forward to today with digital audio workstations, you can do a whole bunch of takes and then you can copy and paste around. You can make things happen very easily that weren't originally recorded that way, etc. But the thing that you really, really lose is there's a couple of things. One is something called phase where basically things lock up, have a force to them, a footprint. Uh, and the other thing is tape rolls off the edges. If you really listen to a lot of those old records, and I think it's interesting, a good point that you make about listening to the lyrics, that you're more listening to the tonality that's coming out and to the melody and how the, how the, how the song makes you feel. And that's great. And, and that's the way it should be. And then maybe over time, you know, you look at the lyrics and say, huh, what the heck is this guy actually talking about? And, I, and I'm the same way. Uh, but when you're talking about recording to tape, tape rolls off the edges. And what I mean by that is like, you know, Eddie Kramer told me that Robert Plant, you know, he was a very pitchy singer, believe it or not. He wasn't perfect. He didn't have perfect pitch. And if you listen closely to a lot of those older records, it's not about being in perfect pitch. It's about the feeling that you're delivering yes. in the perfect protection in, in fact sometimes you can hit a pitch that's that you wouldn't find on an instrument that's gonna uh, uh, jeff beck's i think is a great, a great example yeah. that um i mean they're you know they're they're the rules are there as uh as, as to help you really not to uh to, to and the rules are that you. there are no rules as they say right. and, and and especially in rock music and when you're what do you mean about phase what, what what do you you said you lose phase i've never understood what the hell phase, phase is, is what, okay it's the, it's my it's the distance Usually that your record that, that a microphone source is to the actual source, okay. And when there's other people in the room or there's other sources, it, it's the polarity of the microphone. So on a microphone you have uh, omni, you have uh, cardioid, which is like that half moon. Oh, so you're saying when you lose phase, you you're saying that's a good thing, that's a positive thing. You, a lot you of have. guys reach for EQ immediately when things aren't sitting well next to each other, especially like if you look at drums, you have. You know, sometimes 16 tracks of drums. You have the overheads, you have the room microphones, you have the snare, the kick drum or bass drum, the tom-toms, the hi-hat. How do you get all these things to not be a big hot mess? And the way that that is, is there's a science to recording to get everything to sit properly, to have, uh, you know, so that there's a good low end to it and a, and a, and a powerful strike from the snare. And things don't sound like there's a comb filtering, like a whooshing going on. You know, if, if, if things are recording recorded bad and they're sort of bleeding into each other, there's good bleed and there's bad bleed. And when something gets out of phase, what happens is it loses low end. It loses uh, a clarity. It loses a uh, punch. So when you have 100 tracks, let's say, in a song, to get everything to be in phase properly, 
is what makes those songs sound great. Let's say, for instance, the song Africa by Toto. I think most people would agree that that's a great recording. Al Schmidt was the was the engineer. I think the only engineer in history. I might be wrong about this. That has a gold, st- you know, a, a star on the Walk of Hollywood fl- fame, but he was um, uh, an engineer at Capitol Records and an old school cat. And he was a big believer in uh, how you recorded instruments. And you know, it, these days people will just record and say, "I fix it. I'll fix it in the mix." And that that's that's a nightmare. You got to record well. Now, going back to what you were asking me about this record and how I recorded it, I had to spend this entire last year doing something I call pre-mixing it, where actually I took all the tracks that were recorded and I ran them through all the analog gear and gave them sort of a uh, artistic cohesion, recorded them back in. So everything went through the analog gear. So when you're hearing that... Yeah, okay. ...tonality, the tonality is analog, definitely. Yeah, you can hear it. You can... You can hear it. What all what you also hear is, and this would be my next question: is how much of this was was tracked by itself, and how much was played with the band or with other musicians? Because there's a lot of moments. I mean, obviously, there's a, you know there's a lot of backup vocals and stuff, but there's a lot of there's this feel throughout it that it's like my mind as I'm listening to it, I'm um, I'm imagining a studio where everyone's there playing this. Uh, now I'm a I'm a digital recorder. I am a master of the copy pasta and the looping and stuff like that. So I know <laughs> that it could have been, uh, for all I know, it could have just been a, a drummer playing to a click and then everything's just stacked on top. Well, this was the secret sauce. The secret sauce is, first of all, I have a great drummer. The, this guy, Matt Walker, did all the drumming. We, we, we're both Chicago guys. We go back a long way. And Matt is a very experienced drummer. He was uh, he played with the Smashing Pumpkins and he currently tours with Morrissey. He's a unbelievable. I think he's one of the, honestly one of the best unknown like greats there is. I mean, I just got very lucky back in the day where where we met through a through a, a mutual connection. And I was able to send Matt my songs to a click track, and he's a great interpreter of music. So he could be in Chicago, and I'm in Seattle. Sometimes I was there, uh, and sometimes I wasn't. But he's him and I always just play well together. And then I would have to take what he did. He he would also edit his own drums, which was a big big help. But for the most part, that is pieced together. And that is the post work that I've been doing to bring it together to make it feel that way. And I gotta tell you, that's a very, very difficult thing to do because you're right. Recording in a studio uh, where with with your own band where you gig and you everybody can judge everybody's moves quickly, you can play off of each other. That's that's heaven. That's great. But when you can't do that, the question then is, how do you get it to feel that when, yeah. when you're a solo artist? You're playing yeah. with great musicians, but everybody's off in their own place. That's what I've been studying to do all these years was to bring it together somehow into that. And I don't even think we'd have enough time. I, 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 it might be a scene from Airplane where your audience is hanging themselves listening to this, you know. But but honestly, um, it, it's it was a matter of do you know who Alan Parsons is? You know from uh, the Parsons the, Project. Parsons I, I'm familiar with the name, and I'm sure this. I couldn't name you some songs, but yeah, I'm sure if I heard this of uh, a handful of their hits, I'm probably I'm sure I know all their hits. You know, a lot of people don't are not familiar with the fact that he. Um, well, he started out as an engineer at Abbey Road, and he recorded Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, and who Alan Parsons? Alan, Alan Parsons, Parsons Project. Dark Side of the Moon. He was the engineer, and he moved on from there into his own music. But he put out a a uh, 
a series a few years back called ASSR, called the Art and Science of Sound Recording. And that re- is so well said because that's actually what it is. It's an art. And ASSR. It's a ASSR. I would check it out. Yeah, um, I just Googled it. It sounds super interesting. Yeah, and he's just, you know, the man's a genius. Yeah, because I'll tell you what, I I mean, obviously, if, if people if, if people listening to this aren't into um, making music or listening to other people geek out and talking about making music, then, then they probably will be hanging themselves like in the scene from the airplane. <laughs> no. But for those that do, I mean... This is um, this is something. I mean, I've been a musician since I was nine years old, and I've been recording music on uh, since um, on four tracks. I've been recording since I was fifteen years old, eighty five, probably 80, 84. So I know I I kind. I mean, I know what in certain ways I'm I've mastered certain things, but one thing I've never I've never been able to. Like I said earlier, is um, there are tricks. I know there. And I have the same thing I have with shooting camera. Camera is a weak spot with me with video um, and uh, overall mixing and mastering. I know I'm missing some certain tricks. And um, it must have been, I'm looking here really quick at, um, I didn't do a lot of uh, preparation for this call, but I'm looking right now at um, Eddie Kramer's page on Wikipedia. And I see that specifically with Zeppelin, he Worked on Houses of Holy and Physical Graffiti, which are these, in my opinion, these are some of the best. He also worked on Ace Fraley's New York Groove, which I yeah. think that's one of the, you know, that's in my top ten, I think, of the whole yeah. era. Uh, he's so uh, worked on some albums with the Eddie Stones. Graham story, actually, uh, because this is a funny thing. I went out to um, to France in 2019, and I was a part of a group called Mix with the Masters. And the idea was, as an artist and and the other guys that were there too, wanted to really sort of pick the brain of of some of the greats. And they offered this program where you could go out and spend a week with Eddie Kramer, which is where we met. And at, you know, I, we learned a lot of things, had a really good time. It was in France. I mean, it was a lot of fun, but all you know, pre all this stuff. And uh, afterwards, you know, he'd heard some of my music and he was really interested and he came out to Seattle and spent two weeks at my house with me, which was really a, a mind trip. And we got up every day and we worked on the music and we went down to a studio and brought a B3 player in and another guitar player in to do some other stuff. And I mean, it was really fascinating. But the fun part is that I got all the stories, right? And uh, it was really, I, I think this, this there's like this, this thing that's missing these days is that you know, working the opportunity to work with your heroes or learn from somebody that's better than you and more experienced than you. You know, it's the journey is so much more important than the destination. And I think that's something that's been lost in music. Music used to be something that really lifted people up, no matter what your politics were, no matter what your background was, when your ethnicity, it doesn't matter. There's one thing that can bring people together is great music. And and it's an amazing equalizer and neutralizer. And I think that that's one of the things that's missing in our society. You know, we need to put some heart back into our culture. It's been, I think people have have become down in the mouth. And it's pretty hard to get people to fight for things that we used to consider to be moral normalcies um, of, you know, just, well, you know, like right and wrong, whatever. Picks Everything up. in our culture, in in the Western culture, is propaganda and advertising. That's it. And I was talking to a guy, um, uh, an Iranian, a Persian, uh, and he, we were talking about brainwashed the herd and, and it just seems so hopeless. And no matter what you do, how are you going to shift the herd? 
And what he said to me is, uh, and I tell the story all the time, but, but he said, you have to change the art. He says, the herd will always follow the art. That's never, you, you're never going to be able to change that. So you need to uh, just make the art beautiful and good and positive and then like be the good shepherd. And when he said that, it went right over my head at first because I've been so brainwashed and conditioned that when I hear the word art, I'm thinking, you know, like splashes of, of paint on a, on a wall that I don't understand and, you know, things like that. And then I realized, no, art is straight up uh, media. It's, it's all of it. So if you look at the art in America, the art in America is CNN, uh, it's The View, it's yeah. Fox News, it's, it's music that, I mean, I, remember, I saw a change in the 80s growing up. I was addicted to MTV, but I slowly started seeing a change in the 80s where it all became advertising and it seemed like it was very clear. Music was all focused on keeping you focused strictly on sex and basic needs and, and, and just raw, basic animal emotions. Instead of esoteric, because esoteric music makes you think. The Beatles were very good at, at, at stating something that was quite simple, but in a way that everybody could. I mean, when you can say, all you need is love, and you can make that musical, that's the beauty. Because there's... Oh, yeah, well, that's... Uh, yeah. There's, that's there's, a great example right there actually. That's a great example because I've been I've been I've been doing music my whole life and I've one thing I've always um or I've never taken seriously is my voice and then recently uh, a friend of mine, a fellow musician said you got to start singing and and I realized cuz now my voice is an instrument and so and I've been singing for fun at home just sort of freestyling to crack myself up so goofy singing, right? I do it all the time, and I'm having fun, and I'm actually getting good at it. Like I'm actually, as I'm just doing stupid, point. silly. I mean, but you, you have a great. The trick I is what I'm trying to say, though, is the trick is how do you say uh, all you need is love and not sound like a, a cheesy, cliche idiot? You gotta. You know, it's not. How do you say simple things and and make it so it's like you said, esoteric, so that you can still like ride that fun music uh thing it's not easy i don't find it easy that to me is challenging it maybe i need to stop saying it's so impossible but i mean you it's did a, it there's a lot of, you have a lot of catchy lyrics i think the first one that comes to mind i think it was let me look at my list here if you give me your you give me your love if you give me your love yes Get this feeling every time you come around You know it's hard for me to show And I watch the way that all of the world surrounds you Like no one else could know or care to notice I know the miracle in your eyes Devil in your disguise, and that solitude carries you home when you're wanting to be unknown. When the road runs out of dreams, every other lover finds another. If you give me your love, I'll take it. If you give me a line, I'll fake it. If you leave me behind, I'll make it. If you build me a The morning rain you carry away 
And I'm sure you think that love is a one to borrow from broken promises I know and I believe it It's not the rhythm that gets me down In this whole of a world I've found Fly a skyway to carry me home To my love will be unknown Love and I've That's a funny story about that song. Uh, we were sitting in the studio, me and Kramer, and he said to me, you know, it was a song that actually used to be called, little footnote here, it used to be called Break to the Gray. <laughs> and it had a totally different chorus. And we were sitting there and he said, you know, Michael, you're the guy that writes, you know, bridges where choruses should be, and choruses where bridges should be. I said, what are you talking about? I'm not changing that. You're mad, right? And... Uh, he said, look, humor me. Let's take the bridge. Let's put it where the chorus is. And we only did it on that song. And he said, this song is called If You Give Me Your Love. And I, and I thought that, you know, I didn't learn so much in the sense of, you know, mixing or engineering so much from Eddie. What I really got was, you know, there's two things that you really learn from working with people that are experienced and have, have, have been places. And, and I think that is one uh, you learn what you learn about what you already are pretty much good at. It helps demystify things for you. I think that goes for anything. And then secondly, um, you all it, it also gives you a confidence uh, to you, you have their wisdom. You, you get their wisdom of things, you know, like you have to get it's very difficult to mix your own music. You have to look at yourself like being like you're somebody else. Right. And yeah. you have to follow like this vision in your mind about what it should sound like and not make it personal. I've been spending a lot of years listening to myself as if it's not me. It has to be somebody else. It has to, you have to have this imagination. Uh, if you're gonna, a lot of people say that like, you know, mixing your own music or engineering your own music, that's like cutting your own hair or something. But I've had other people mix my music or engineer it. And you know what? It never came out that way. You know, you had mentioned a band filter that your friends, uh, What's his name again? Frank, oh, Frank Kavanaugh, yeah. Frank Kavanaugh. Well, it was a known fact in Chicago that those guys are pretty much making their own records. They have they had a, sp a practice space that where they were recording in. They had laptops. They were doing every engineering everything on their own. I mean, otherwise, who's going to get into your head? How's that going to work? 
uh, unless you have uh, like a producer that is really kind of like the fifth beetle, you know, like they're in your band. I, I think it's impossible uh, yeah. to really to really get that done. So there there are so many small uh, that's word again esoteric things that have to come together that you have to be aware of. Um, all all these points matter when when making music. Um, and you and you touched on the most important point. Does the does the melody grab you right from the start? And then also being able to be metaphoric at times, but also being able to state things memorably. I mean, I guess that's the the art of of putting together lyrics with music and making it. Is the music sincere enough around that simple term that you're saying that it could be interpreted interpreted to be much deeper? than what it is at face value. Oh yeah, I love that. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I tune out the lyrics is um, is because by tuning them out, you will catch a few here and there, you can't help it, but it, but it's jumbled. And so then it, 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 it even makes it more esoteric. And uh, I also love listening to music in foreign languages that I don't understand. Uh, mm-hmm. Because even it's the same thing. It's like, I just, the, the better the music is, the more I'm like, oh my God, I bet he's, I bet they're saying like just some incredibly profound things, you know, Still, yeah. um, you know, because the imagination, I was just talking to her the other day about the difference between seeing a movie and reading a book of that movie. You know, it's, it's a huge difference because your, your mind is filling in these blanks. Uh, and I would agree. That's actually good advice. That's very good advice for me. If I want to, I do, I want to, um, I want to take on songwriting and uh, that's good advice. To, I'm happy to um, always talk to you about it. I mean, I have a lot of you know insight, you know, and I like to. I, you I focus mean, I, a lot on teaching music too, don't you? Well, I used to. I used to own a company called the Music Teachers Network. I kind of, I've kind of moved to focusing on my career in music rather than teaching. And one of the unfortunate aspects of that, the way that company used to work, was that I matched music instructors with families for private lessons. And what ended up happening is you just can't, it's very difficult now to find people that want to work as a vendor for you anymore. They, they want to charge what you would be charging the student, but they want you to do all the work and do all the accounting and advertising and pay the taxes, et cetera, and then make nothing. I'm like, I, uh, look, uh, hey there, bud, I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> I don't know what you're learning in college. I don't want to know what you're learning in college. But, um, you know, there's this thing called, you know, I own the company, I find you the student, and you get a, an hourly, a good hourly rate. Anyways, it started to become too much where, where people were just not, there's, it's just, you know, I, here's a good point, a little sociology uh, truth. Back when I started the Music Teachers Network in the late 90s, I had, I was really young, I mean, really, and I had, uh, this idea because I had advertised in Chicago for music teachers in the North Shore, Chicago, which is an affluent area. And I advertised in a newspaper with these uh, three by five neon cards that said guitar, piano lessons, voice lessons in your home. And I got a ton of families and I didn't know what to do with them. So the proverbial light went on and I said, well, what if I could be in a hundred places at one time? So I started hiring teachers. Well, back then when I was advertising for instructors in the Chicago Reader, I was getting people that were sending cover letters and resumes, but nobody had a degree in music. I mean, this is the this is like call it ninety nine. Nobody had a degree in music. If they did, it was rare. I mean, it was more merit based. And then all of a sudden, by two thousand four or five, I started seeing 
master's degree, master's degree, master's degree in music. But it wasn't like one off. It was like everybody had a minimum of a bachelor's degree. And you start to see what's happening here. And you're thinking to yourself, why? Why are you putting yourself $100,000 in debt? Which you know these schools like Oberlin and Juilliard and Boston Conservatory and Outward. These these guys and girls are putting themselves in massive debt when there really isn't some, there isn't a massive industry there because when you graduate from music school, your only options are either to teach, uh, to be or be in an orchestra or make it on your own. I don't know, you know what where the uh, economic engine is there other than that. And when it comes to orchestras. You know, somebody either has to retire or die for you to get in the, in the orchestra. Oh, so. yeah. And then once you're in that orchestra gig, they seem like they pay pretty sweet, but uh, but they also seem like it's a total pain in the ass. And I and it's like and it's such an exclusive, special little club. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, that's very interesting. I have some questions about that. Music teachers. Let me tell you a little bit about I have an interesting story about my music teacher. And I was just speaking of Frank Kevin. I was just talking about where we grew up. We grew up in Cleveland. And uh, we were talking about me and him doing a podcast talking about how how it seems as if uh, we were both groomed. We grew, we grew up in an, in an area where it seemed like all of us were being groomed for positions. He believes he was groomed for a position as a rock star, which he became. And he it makes sense. I mean, it kind of had this trajectory early on. We grew up with a rock, like he has a Jesuit uncle connection to some weird things. I have a Jesuit uncle to some weird things. Lots of weird things. But one of the weird things growing up for me was my music teacher. I, I ended up with this music teacher who, so, I mean, looking back, um, wow, MK Ultra story. Like he, when I met him, he, it was a brief moment of his life where he was sober in AA and um, had his act together. Brilliant teacher. Like he invented a whole, he went to Interlochen School of Music and dropped out after, after doing like, I think he said a hundred, a whole sheet of acid. He threw everything <laughs> he owned out the window and then went out and became homeless Oh, yeah. um, lost the ability to speak, to, was taken in by a monastery, joined the Weather Underground, started riots and attacked police with the Weather Underground in Canada and the United States. Uh, uh, insane wow. story. Um, and then I met him, like I said, when he was all straightened out, and he had a way of teaching music where he had colors involved. And, and I'm colorblind, so this is interesting, so I can't... But I, I, it was still brilliant, like just how you can combine colors and they make other colors... It Jimmy all worked out. Music and color. Yeah, it all worked out in his little system. Just how you can combine certain scales with other scales and create this. You know, it all worked out with this color th scheme, and then the colors kind of um, equated to the emotions. Um, and it was fascinating. He was a he was a a mad genius, straight up mad genius, and um, a, a hardcore like victim of MK Ultra. So it's just. One of many interesting stories of... Uh, and, I've, uh, and that's why, and th I think that's one of the biggest reasons that I called you. Obviously, I, I, I follow your work and Alex's work. And I I thought to myself, you know, I mean, we live in a time where you got to or get off the pot. And, you know, if I've always cared very deeply about life, about music, about... You know, this could be a beautiful place. And, you know, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in a, in, you know, having folks that 
uh, grew up in that era where they were, you know, they were I, from the time I was little, they were playing Deep Purple and they were playing Phil Oaks and they were playing Harry Chapin and they were playing Black Sabbath. And I mean, there was such a wide array of music in the house growing up that, you know, and that's the thing that changed the most about music is that you could go to a radio station somewhere, call it, I would say, in the 70s or even the 80s, early 80s at least, where there would be so much different music on that station. It wasn't typecast, right? I mean, it was it was up to the DJ. And when that all moved to the program director and it became corporatized, ah, you know, all of a sudden, and, and this, is, this goes on to a deeper conversation about the law of entropy, for instance. When something starts out, it starts out small and it and it grows and then it needs more people and more angles to, to support its growth. And then it reaches a cresting point where it should probably be destroyed or it should break up. And that's kind of how I feel about the music industry. It's like, well, this company got so big, it started out anything. I don't care if it's Apple. I don't care what it is. It starts out small in a garage. It's a great idea. Atlantic Records started out. I'm at Erdogan. Which I, I've heard, I've actually heard that early on, and I'm just, I, I don't mean to interrupt you because you might be just getting right there, but very early on, like back in the 50s uh, or even the 40s, that the mafia, the Italian mafia basically dominated, um, I would imagine the Jewish mafia as well, the Jewish and Italian mafia basically dominated the music industry early on, way back in the day. Yeah, I know yeah. that. I know that uh, for well, that's. I've what... heard nothing but horror stories. I grew up a huge uh, Prince fan. When I was a kid, uh, Prince was my was my hero for um, for good reasons. Prince is a uh, yeah, he um, A lot of his music I even find to be annoying, but um, I think he does it on purpose because he has he has such business sense. When he wants to write a hit, he can write a hit. He usually writes hits for other people and stays anonymous and then cashes in that way so that he can afford or when he was alive, so that he could afford to uh, just be a weird musician who just explores and experiments and does whatever he wants to do. Because that's, but that's kind of one of the things I love about him yeah. is that he just and he had took his, control. His, his studio, um, I forget the name. Um, what the heck is the name? Paisley Park Studios. Paisley Park. Yeah. So and he could he play something like twenty instruments. His he first album, he played 29 instruments and he <laughs> played everything on his. And he was 17 years old. He had a job. And he wasn't rich. He, his parents were jazz musicians. Uh, he and but he had a job in high school working at a recording studio, and he would just um, stay up all night and uh, and you know teach himself there and record there. And I've heard uh, I was a geek about him. I was a big fan of his. But like people would recount stories of him in high school as just like the, the weird kid that would stare at everyone. You know, had no friends. <laughs> yeah, like what's wrong with you people? <laughs> But anyways, yeah. one of the things Prince taught uh, was was basically how absolutely corrupt the music business was. Because, I mean, you would think someone like Prince, who had, right off the bat, he had, I mean, he was executive producer on his first album. That's pretty wild that he managed that. And I think he just finagled that. They probably figured they'd be able to get that away from him quickly. They were probably just humoring him, I would think. But then who knows? Prince is, a, is an enigma. He changed his name to get out of record contracts, and it worked, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Forbes magazine, like, said, described, they said, we don't know anything about music, but as far as business go, this guy's, like, one of the most savvy business people we've ever seen. So, yeah, and, and he... Just how, why it's so odd to me uh, that, that he disappeared like he did. Well, yeah, that's a whole other story. I mean, he practically announced he was going to disappear. Um, you know, I mean... Uh, 
he died on an elevator. He had the four, or, or if not him, the, here's the interesting thing about his death is that before he died, good luck finding anything by Prince on the internet. He was so savvy with, with control over his copyright and his material that you just couldn't, you couldn't find anything on there. And then within 24 hours of his death, all of a sudden there was a treasure trove now you can search anything on the, you now you know after he died there's so I many I remember that you're right yeah there's yeah that was the first time i saw the um performance he did uh, creep at um at uh a big music festival i can't remember the name of the festival but um so many things so many prince rare prince moments that you could never see before because he had tight control it makes me wonder how he had that control and it's do? also interesting that it makes you suspicious of his death because these very powerful entities in the music industry must have hated him because he he not only like took them on in battles, but he won, you know, and 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 uh, made them look stupid. And yeah. so uh, they don't like that. No, they don't like that. So it makes you wonder. But I Prince. think we're living in a very opportunistic time because it's all out there. I mean, my wife and I were watching a movie yesterday uh, or a couple other days, a couple of days ago. And it was one of those J-Lo movies, I don't know, it, 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 with Vince Vaughn, I think it was called The Cell. And we were watching that, and I'm looking at all the things that are going, I'm like, how many years ago was this? Maybe 20? And I'm watching this, and I'm going, you know, they're just rubbing your nose in it. Like the FBI, whoa, they're your friend, you know? And I'm just like, and then you look at, like, everything that's happening today, and you look at just, they have had this, this plan for a long time. And for me... I always knew since I was a kid, like I had a friend that gave me Behold the Pale Horse, you know, that book. And I, you know, and you always knew that there was something wrong, but I never sort of put it together. For me, it was always like, how could the JFK assassination, like how could that just go without being investigated properly? I mean, this is impossible. Come on, come on, people. And uh, my feeling was always like, well, yeah, but there's still like, you know, that's a fringe thing or it's still... You know, people, for the most part, life is good. You know, what you see is real. Wow, wow, wow. And now when I look back on everything, I go, no, uh -uh, uh -uh, nothing was real. Jeez. And, and, I, it, I, and, and it really drives me crazy because I'm like, when you know, your, your eyes are open too much. You're like, all right. But you know what? You can you can choose to 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 stand up and do something about it or you can choose to continue to put your head in the sand. And I choose not to. I think music is important. I think, you know, us talking is important. I think this new uh, independent journalism that is getting strong now, I mean, this is a very, very good time. You know, it's darkest before the dawn, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think that a lot of people are waking up. I think there's a time for good music to come back now. And I think an awakening of the human spirit. And I think that's, uh, uh, hey, we don't have a choice. That's the way I look at it. Got to no, um, pick people up. I think it's extremely important. And um, and uh, I, avoid, I avoid art lately because um, most of the, um, I don't know, producers of art, of the purveyors of art that, uh, that I have access to, I've, I've, um, I'm angry. I'm angry. I, I assume, I almost assume that all of them are cowards, uh, just because none of them, or I can count in one hand how many actually said anything. And these are people who, 
could have saved lives easily. Yeah. Not only could have saved oh. lives, but I, I, would even argue, I, would even, I would even argue they, they helped kill people. By, yeah, follow the money. So I, um, how did they, how did they uh, get their career going? Like, are they a part of that whole system? Well, I think sure. just the simple fact that that they were afraid to that they knew that oh if I say anything I'm going to lose my job that alone that's enough that's, that's enough. enough and so I need to overcome that um, like I'm like you know I don't know like uh, but there needs to be we need art to come back and it needs to be coming from um, a strong place of people that want the truth and 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 have and care about the importance of um of these things in my opinion you know it's like you were talking about how this has been planned for a long time i mean lately i've been i've been flipping my lid again lately by going down the whole uh tartaria mud flood thing that i talked about it on my podcast last week i think <coughs> i'm probably i think i've already, i think i'm going to say something in the intro to this about it um, because there is a lot to there, there is a lot of it when you go down that rabbit hole. There is a lot of it. Like a, people don't seem to understand what foundations are in basements and stuff like that. However, there is I've seen enough now to realize that we don't know we don't know who we are. The whole orphan thing. When you look at the the um, hundreds of thousands in America alone in just a few decades of children that were sold and distributed throughout the entire country to start things up and to create the industrial revolution and that happened in every country of the commonwealth where did they come from we know we know that they were run in these uh in these homes that were owned these extravagant looking beautiful castles that were owned by the odd fellow freemasons all throughout the country all, in countries all over the world and they, and we know that they were some of these babies were born in these homes they called them asylums they call them foundlings. That's what they called the babies that were born in there. And we know that some of these odd fellow Freemasons that were running this whole operation were themselves born inside of these orphan foundling asylums. And we know that this is, when you look at the hundreds of these like castle-like looking mansions that were allegedly built as foundling orphan asylums, you realize that back in the 1800s, there was a massive massive baby operation baby factory operation going on worldwide distributing babies all over the country some of them several of them trained in the secret society of the odd fellows anyways the point being is uh, yeah. so what have i learned in the rabbit hole i haven't learned in the rabbit hole of tartaria so far all i've really learned is that we don't know where we are we don't know what our history is and people are starting to not trust anything <laughs> i don't think they should i agree I so we're in a very interesting place like you said it's a very opportune place everything's changing anyone like you you're starting up a new thing with your music you couldn't ask for a better situation to be in in my opinion i think anyone out there who has a dream or a vision one one what that means is it means that you have been able to surf these turbulent chaotic waves enough to where you're you can still hold on to a dream and a vision that alone should be celebrated that's a beautiful thing and then two you are in a perfect opportunity to just keep focused riding that wave keep doing your thing and opportunity's coming i'll tell you opportunity's coming for everyone all you got to be doing is is stay on the wave keep surfing paying attention 
and do your thing. And, and because we are about to recreate society, those of us who are riding the wave once again, that's, and I think that's why the main game is confusion and chaos. The main game is to keep everyone focused on something, whether it's shiny and appealing for some reason like Elon Musk, or it's super scary and, and, and chaotic like World War Three or whatever. That's the game. Keep everyone busy so but, that know, they don't manifest their dream. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned something right there. I read a story today that Elon Musk uh, had just said, uh, he said, well, you know, if they're going to deplatform Twitter, then I'll make my own phone. <laughs> and that touches on something that you had said in the past about needing our own systems. And I'm a big believer in independence. And yes, making this album and continuing it through these times, I cannot tell you how many times at three o'clock in the morning I said, I'm done. I quit. Screw this. This isn't right. You know, I, I shouldn't have to do this. Blah, 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 blah. My wife's heard a lot of it. And I'll tell you, um, but there was always something inside me that said, make the record. Just make the record. And it kept me going. And, and you know, it's, it's gotten to a point now where I'm like, no, come hell or high water. This is what I'm doing, damn it. And it, it's, it, it has taken that kind of determination throughout these times. I think any, you know, I would have given my left arm to, to, well, not technically, but, you know, to be with the, in the Beatles situation, you know, where you have George Martin, you have, you know, Brian Epstein, you have EMI behind you, blah, blah, blah. And even more interestingly so, by 1966, John Lennon wanted out, right? And then in, and, and you look at bands like Steely Dan. They, I, I didn't even know this, by the way. They, they decided, hey, we're not touring, man. We're going to do everything. It's going to be the two of us, and we're going to yeah. run independent musicians, and we're going to just put out records. I'm a big believer in that. I have no desire to Amen. live a life that is, that is miserable. Why would I want to do that? Amen. You know, well, not, I guess, I mean, there was a time, there was a brief time in my life where, uh, where that type of lifestyle didn't seem miserable to me. But for the majority of my life, the, yeah, the lifestyle of touring, oh, goodness gracious, no thank you. Uh-uh. <laughs> Right. I mean, um, that, yeah, it's it's it, 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 but it never even seemed appealing to me then. I was looking at all of it and I was going, I don't want to lug my aunt to something. Yeah. I mean, why? I mean, either you like I mean, I love to play live. It's what in fact, when I lived in Seattle, I, I don't play, even like to play live. I've never enjoyed um, being the attention. I never liked, you know, I used to actually like when I, I, I did it for several years. I would I was in bands and I played on stage and I would always sort of hide behind my hair. And I could pull off a performance, but I was I would I would get drunk or stoned, you know. I would you know mm -hmm. extra drunk and stoned to like feel comfortable and and uh, and I would I would I would mentally pick it apart. I'm like, this is so weird. Why is everyone like looking at us? Why can't you know? It's like there shouldn't even be a stage. We should just you know the everything should just blend together. The audience, the you know whatever. Anyway, so yeah, right. I never really enjoyed it. It was is weird. I dedicated so much time to my life into something that. Um, that I, I it should have been obvious that wasn't my path because well, most of the other people, most I, of the I people I knew. I think you invented your space, my friend. I mean, uh, yeah, I did. No, I did. That's a, yeah, I, I definitely did. But most of the musicians, because that, that was that was a rare thing. I would say I would say I was alone in that. Everyone else that I knew back then, and everyone I knew who were musicians, they lived for performance. That was the main. That was what that's what it was all about. 
the closest I could come to that was I loved, I lived for dress rehearsals. I lived for uh, getting so tight with the band that you were ready for the show, you know, that, that, that tightness. Because <clears throat> in the dress rehearsals, I wouldn't have any of the awkward uh, stage fright feelings, so I could just absolutely, completely loosen up and, and enjoy the, 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 the rewards of hard rehearsal. You know, there's nothing like getting it just right to the point where you can just almost forget about it. You know what you know? I did to overcome stage fright? For the last several years, for fun, I would go to this place in, in Bellevue, Washington called Daniel's Broiler. It was a, a um, it's actually where I met my wife, but uh, it's a, um, a piano bar, steakhouse. And there's a, like a local hero there who plays, has been playing there for many years and he became a friend of mine. And I've always thought that one of the hardest things to do, especially since from the since the fact I picked up piano when I, you know, was I mean, guitar is my first instrument. I didn't pick up piano till I was thirty, and I uh, said I I I do love performing for people as far as like you know I don't like doing the covers anymore, but I I had a lot of them, and I loved getting on the piano bar and having people write up to me because I think that there is something. I don't know. It's like you throwing yourself in the deep end of the pool when you're singing straight to people's faces and you don't know them anymore. You don't know them at all. And then after a while, the nervousness goes away. Uh, I think that getting on a stage and playing to a major audience where you can't even almost even barely see them. I think you're, you have more trouble with the people that are in your band and their BS than you would actually have, you know, like playing by yourself. And that's one of the things that I've never uh, wanted to really do because uh, like band politics and things oh like that. Oh my God. It's like being want, married to a bunch of guys. Right. And I don't have an interest in that. You know, I mean, I'd rather, uh, you know, I'd rather have a studio musicians I play with uh, when I do a show or something like that. So, Hello. Goodbye. Who Thank played you. piano on, on these tracks? Me. Uh, I was going to, uh, uh, you said something about piano recently. Uh, nice work. Uh, that, that definitely stands out. The piano work definitely stands out and, and it really adds a, uh, adds sort of um i think that's one of the things that adds to the the sound that i was saying where you you feel like everyone's sort of in a room playing together just because of the uh the more acoustic instruments on the album thank you i, I looked at the album and, and there was i made a rule for it that i said it's going to be like a hamburger bun you know <laughs> you're going to have the guitar the acoustic guitar and the piano on one on top one on the bottom and all the electric stuff you know, it's somewhere in the middle with the vocals, et cetera. Ah, I, I like that. Looked at like it that, that way. So I don't care what song it is. It has to have both. Because I wanted to wanted it to be uh, an absolute um, good representation of, of my sound. And I said, well, I have to make that work. And you did that. And I did that since we're talking about, you know, the last couple of years and how difficult it was and not losing your mind. You know, you heard the song Devil Below, which is one of my favorites um, uh, the, on the album.
in a cage for a king You call it luck, I call it sting There's a reason not to try This shot in life will pass you by Except for the wicked and the wise And I found the devil
And it's really about like there's always like this this energy, this negativity that tries to come in sort of a you know, mess up your plan, man. And I had a lot of that over the last couple of years, especially with COVID. But also there was this construction going on behind my house. And I was recording acoustic guitars in between the barn <laughs> next door. And the and the and the jackhammers and the jackhammers went on for from seven o'clock in the morning till six at night. And I used to have to do take after take after take to find oh, how many days did that go on for? Man, that went on for 18 months. For 18 months? 18 months. Welcome to Seattle. The, uh, a project that was supposed to be done in three months. They kept doing it where everyone was locked in their homes. And you had beep, 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 beep all day long. And you had the... the was it during, during, done during COVID? Yeah. What a nightmare. And you know why they did it? To put in a stupid, uh, just a sidewalk. They cut down all the trees. Oh, there goes that, right? Uh, oh, you don't care about trees now, do you? They cut down all the trees. Then they went and put this sidewalk in and widened the road and did all this junk just so people could walk from one road to get to a library because there might be the opportunity that they might get hit by a car. And I thought to myself, it's like a George Carlin skit, you know, like yeah. how many people die a year getting hit by a car, you know, and he had some funny statistic and everybody laughed. But the point was, like, nobody really walked down this road and the sidewalk wasn't necessary. And they wouldn't not only did the project elongate for 18 months but it, it it also was completely unnecessary and should have been canceled once everybody was in their homes but this is the thing about government they don't care and i and i gave a th like i don't know how many calls to them to talk to this one guy there and he's you know, always him and haw about it but nothing so i decided i said listen man you know and of course i had no air conditioning in this house either and everybody in seattle says uh, don't worry about it you know it, it's not hot here ever of course it was like one of the hottest summers ever is like 100 degrees so i'm sitting there thinking to myself well look man you can quit or you can keep going and i kept going i played between the beeps yeah you got so this, to. that's th this this record is a labor of love there's no doubt about it absolutely my and it, and it is, it's, it, it does go back to a mentality of how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? How much does it mean to you? Well, it means everything. To me, it's a life and death thing. You know, I'm going to make this, period. And uh, yeah, that, that pays off. But it doesn't come without its, its struggles and without its... its uh... But isn't it so much more sweet, right? Like when you really work hard for something, you believe in it, and you don't know where it's going to go and have no idea, but you know you got to do it. Um, I think that I would wish that for everybody that you, that you have passion about what you do, because I don't, you know, how do you measure success? I don't know. I guess if you can make a living from it, but having passion and really fighting for something, you know, there's something to that. And I think that's a problem with a lot of people like, you know, on the, and I don't like to say on our side of the fence or any of that kind of stuff, because I don't believe there's a side of the fence. I think that either you're awake and you're looking beyond you know, you're you're the little maze that you live in, or you're you're asleep still. Yeah, uh, you're following the the art. You know, it's like the right, herd. You're following the art. You're following yeah, the right art. now, the art is is gross and and ugly, and so that's that's the sad thing. It's and that's why it's important once again, I think, to be the good shepherd. And it, the only things are never going to change until the art changes. That's my opinion, and I think that a pe a, a people does do not want to what made America great. And, and the Western world great was that there was so much great art 
and so such a movement of music and then all of a sudden it was just choked off and i think that people are going to have to take it upon themselves to buy from the artist very important uh to um you know to to not just expect things to be spoon-fed to look for good stuff but also to support good movements i think that's really really important and well, well, this kind of started, I think this started uh, when I was mentioning Prince earlier. I think that's what yeah. I was going to say back then is that I think he was one of the first, he was the first I ever heard who basically laid out the new model of uh, bypassing uh, the middle guy. You don't, you don't need a, a, a record need contract anymore. You have the internet really did that because anyone can, uh, can create their own music now the and they can sell it themselves on the internet. And you know, so, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. What is this whole thing that they got musicians believing about feast and famine? That you cannot be a musician and make a living at it. Well, why can a plumber make a living, but not a musician? Why? Well, the reason that they're able to still get away with that is because they they run all the radio stations, basically. And so the only way they can they can make the only way they can make it work is they have to make you believe that you love the song. And so the way that you believe it is by yeah. replaying it over and over and over right. and over and, and over again. Shark. Daddy shark. Yeah. And, 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 until, until you've lost your mind and, you, and you're, and you're whispering it in your sleep. Right. You want to, they, they play it over and over again so that people, kids hear it when they're like making out the first time or they hear it when they're having that really special moment or whatever. And then it just ingrains in them. And then now they believe that the, that they love this that that the, that the music exists because they love it and that's a fake that's an illusion the model the future model once we can overcome this power structure the future model is is the ideal and it should be like it it should be be like this across the board people go directly to the creator of the thing that they want and then by doing that then we create a world market where then you it's that's not an illusion anymore now that's a reality now the reality is is that people have the thing that they really want you know? yes and the art should be the the way that you market the music or the art should be as artful as the music the business should be an art in the way that you do it because all the innovators you can look at EMI records back in the days of the Beatles, they didn't have half the stuff they recorded on. They invented it. They had a laboratory. I got this great book that you would love called Recording the Beatles. And it's broken down into four, uh, four uh, different quadrants. And one is the equipment, one's the personnel, one's the songs. Uh, and then one is like, uh, let's see, and then one is that's the equipment, the songs, the personnel, and then like the and then there's one more i'd have to look at it again but there's four four quadrants in it and it's like an encyclopedia of every year but it's also every piece of gear and the fact that they made it it wasn't commercially available except for the microphones they use like telefunk and neumann microphones but the the famous beatles consoles and the compressors and equalizers and things like that they invented so many things and and that goes back to this. I mean, you and I could have a conversation about this for a long time, like the MP3. What happened? Was it the chicken or the egg? Like with Napster, for instance, was it did people start downloading singles and going to file sharing because uh, because it was easier 
to get because it was because they wanted to just take it because it was right there or did albums go away and and when, what i mean by albums is from song one to song eight or song one to song ten did they keep you captivated there was not any filter or filler excuse me uh it it, it was from song one to song ten the album had a running order you could put the needle at the start and you had to necessity is the mother of invention you can't couldn't have you you didn't want anybody to have to pick the needle up and skip that song, although I'm sure people have, right? But the point being, did people move away from that because those albums stopped being, because people stopped making good music? Which favors what? What 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 causes what? Uh, do artists just say, well, screw it. You know, I'm just going to make singles now. Why should I even make albums? Nobody buys albums anymore. I hear this all the time. And I always say to myself, you're wrong. I think that if there is something out there that really moves people and... And there's 10 songs in a row that you can listen to. And it's like, whoa, I think people want that. I think people want to be a part of something that's great. I know that I can put on old records that, not to mention the fact that they sound better. But I also think that content and uh, making a work of art is, is uh, important. Uh, then you don't care about, who wants to listen to a, a song on an MP3? I mean, who wants to listen to a great album on... On earbuds. Some people don't even have the memory. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure there are kids growing up today that have, you know, cool parents or older siblings or relatives that, you know, have guided them to a record store where they can appreciate buying a, an album on vinyl. But, um, you know, I grew up, that's how I grew up when I was a kid. The first, uh, my first exposure was that. So, yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Where can people find your stuff? They can find it on official Mike Simon, S I M O N dot com, like Paul Simon, Mike Simon officialmikesimon.com and is there anything that you'd like to share that with our audience here that uh you don't think we talked about on the subject of music and creativity and art and whatever well you know just that you know great movements have a cultural angle it's important to support independent artists um, it's important to change the narrative politics are uh, important but they're never going to be the complete answer. And I think that people need to have something to believe in. We all have to, you know, you care about your life when you value it on uh, a level where we're, and I think that we're, everybody values their life. Um, at least most people, I'm sure the audience that's listening does. But what I mean by that is that, are we excited to be alive? I mean, are we, living in a time where, we're, where we feel satisfied? And I would say probably no. And we need music. We need good art. We need things to inspire us and inspire the, the human being in us to say, to wake us up and to believe again. Because if we're inspired by art and we're inspired by people around us, we're going to, you know, everything else is going to look a little ridiculous. And that's where I think it starts to recede. I think that's where the people really take over. Is when there's great art and uh, and great music, it just it, it it eclipses the negativity. I think it's a very powerful thing, and I think that's exactly why uh, these these forces go after the artists and try to co-opt them, and uh, you know, and then have four people writing all the songs. Well, and that's exactly why. I mean, the media is the most deadly weapon that's being used against against us by this whole. Th you know, take the media out of their hands and. I mean, well, and, that, and that is what the media is. It's, it's a visual art. It's that's absolutely true. And I'll leave you with this: if all we need is love, then 
then uh, if that is the case, then it needs to. Then we need to make it. And if, if it, then 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 love is more powerful than negativity. It's the multitudes. The light eclipses the darkness. All right. Thanks for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you guys are taking care of yourself. I hope you got through the holidays unscathed. And uh, be well. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.